0: Hey everybody and welcome, I'm Kathy Baker and I'm glad you're joining me in this four-week summer series, Time to Reset and Renovate. Last week we learned all about what it means to reset your life and this week we're going to look at life uh, satisfaction and we're going to see if in your life there is any area where you're dissatisfied and if so, do you need a reset, meaning an adjustment, or do you need a full renovation? So we're going to dig into that now. Um, We sometimes have a life that is just in um, a routine. It's in a pattern that is... Predictable, And so in those areas, we just might need to make an adjustment and reset. But sometimes our life is out of control, and we might need to do something a bit different. We might need a full-on renovation. Well, we talked last week about being in that loop of unhealthy thoughts, emotions, and patterns of behavior. Now, that can happen to us whether we are just in a need for a reset or a full-on renovation. But the key is we need to learn how to exit the loop. We need to make sure we know that we're in a loop of an unhealthy pattern and we need to exit that. And so that sometimes comes from our own awareness and sometimes it comes from somebody else and a prompting of the Holy Spirit. It could come from motivation after you've read a devotional or perhaps Bible study. And so we want to be aware of all those places in our lives where we are being touched and we're being encouraged, we're being inspired, and we may be prompted to make a change. Well, here, what we learned last week is this is a spiritual practice. It is a spiritual discipline because first of all, we learned last week that we need to ask God to help us do a reset Then we asked him to do a Genesis for us, a beginning, give us a new start. And then we learned that we need to replace whatever we need to reset. And finally, we learned to remove anything that is unhelpful or unhealthy. Because here's the truth, those things lead us to being unholy. And so those are the four areas we talked about last week. So today we're going to dig into some more strategies to help us to know how to remove any of those things that are unhealthy and how to replace them. So I handed out last week a life satisfaction survey, and I asked you to look on a scale of one to 10. And so if you gave these areas a one, that means it is entirely unacceptable for me to be living in this way in this part of my life if you gave this a 10, it's, I couldn't be happier with the way my life is going. And that means that you're happy the way it's going because it's the way God would want it to go. Now, here are the areas I asked you to consider your personal spiritual life and growth, your church life, your physical life, your marriage or romantic relationship, your home life, your personal order as in uh, are you organized and are you being efficient and have you become um, living in a a simple life that um, is making you happy or do you have an area where you struggle there? What about your extended family relationships? What about your social life? Uh, And then another area is your fun and recreational life. What about financial stability? or your physical environment like your home, your car, your neighborhood, and then the final one is your career or your employment. So those were the areas and I asked you to consider where you are in those parts of your life and then to decide that I need either an adjustment or I need a renovation. A renovation means a rebirth. Sometimes a simple adjustment does it And sometimes we need a full rebirth. Renovation happens in a home because you want to change the appearance of the home. Maybe because something is broken or damaged or perhaps it just needs an update. Well, when we do a renovation in our life, it's very similar. We want to look at this idea of spiritual rebirth or spiritual renovation. The, this concept, these words together, are used twice in the New Testament. Once in Matthew 19, 28, and in the next time it is in Titus 3, verse 5. Well, the Greek word for this is polygenesia, and that is in both passages. The first part of that comes from the word pollen, which means, again, the last part of that word is from the root of Genesis and that means beginning or starting. So this idea that was presented in scripture was beginning again, starting over. In Matthew is where Jesus refers to the renewal of all things when we have an eternal life. That is a rebirth. Well, uh, Christ gives us that opportunity to live a a new life in Christ and to have eternal life with him. That is a life renovation. Well, uh, here is how uh, it is told to us in Titus. It it says he washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life (coughs) through the Holy Spirit. That verse reminds us that God washes away our sins and we get a new life through the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Well, here's how the American Heritage College Dictionary defines renovation it defines it as to reform spiritually or morally. Do we need that in any area? Here's another part of that definition to form, create, or construct new, especially in an improved state, to give new life or energy to or to revitalize. That's what we're looking at today, how to revitalize our life in the areas where we are dissatisfied. When we reset our life and when we renovate our life, we are renewing our life. Well, the life satisfaction list I shared with you reflects your whole life. And so i'd like to look at you look at your whole life and think of areas where you need a renewal think of areas where your spiritual walk is just not what it needs to be in that area and so i want you to think about those areas so have something come to mind out of one of those categories that i just shared with you and i want you to get a visual to see if any of those areas you feel your energy is being drained or your life is being cluttered. So get the image of being drained or being cluttered. See, draining takes away our desire uh, to do good and righteous things. And so we get drained when things are weighing us down, when we are perhaps Thinking too long on certain things that are bothering us. We're thinking in an unhealthy way or we're we're using our energy in unhealthy areas and we're getting drained. Clutter is when we just have too many things coming at us and we're not processing those well. We don't have clarity in our life. If there is a lot of clutter. Now, God does not want us to live that way. That is a life of despair and a life of chaos. He wants us to return to our desire, our desire to live for him and to do the things for him instead of being drained. And he wants us to have clarity in our lives about the direction we're going instead of the clutter. So let's get that in our heads. He wants desire instead of draining and he wants clarity instead of clutter. So I want you to identify those areas of drain and clutter in your life. Now that list that I gave you comes under some broader headings. So think of it this way. Is there an area in my life, in my home life, that I am dealing with some drain or some clutter? What about my mental life? My emotional life? My financial life? Social life, relationship life, or spiritual life. Think of those categories and identify where you feel drained and think, what is zapping my energy? What is consuming my thoughts? Or think of what is cluttering your time with God, perhaps? What is robbing you of production, productive activities? And what relationships could be toxic and draining? What is draining your joy? See, that's how you begin to think about various areas of your life in terms of being drained or being cluttered. Well, I want us to look at the broken window theory. I want to ask this question. Did you somewhere allow the drain and clutter into your life through the broken window theory. Well, the broken window theory was introduced in 1982 by social scientists who observed the the result of tolerating petty crimes. The result of tolerating the little crimes. Well, what they found when a community tolerates disorder and petty crimes, like the breaking of windows or or of public drinking or jumping over the turnstiles in the subway, people are more likely to commit serious crimes. So the theory became very effective in cleaning up the streets of New York City they implemented uh, having dealing with those simple petty crimes in order to prevent bigger ones from occurring. It worked, and perhaps they need to return to that today. (laughs) Anyway, let's see how that theory works in our lives. Are there little things that you let in to your cluttered and drained places that have now led to big things coming in? Now that could be literal in actual clutter that you let into your home or into your car or into your closet or into the drawers of your um, house that ends up to big clutter and that gets overwhelming and then you feel helpless to clean it up. You see, there is a literal example of clutter, just letting the little things start and it turned into big things. Or this broken window theory could be a metaphor for other kinds of clutter in your life. So you allow a thought to come in and it's unhealthy, it's negative, it's a bad thought of some sort, and then it's easy for the next one to come in and eventually you are in this bad thought loop. Well, here's another example. You allow somebody in your life to say something disrespectful to you once And then again, and then again, and then again, and then you live a disrespected life. See, the broken window theory reminds us that little things matter, and little things are the beginning of the big things in our life that lead us to separation from God or separation from others we're in relationship with. So number one is we stop. We stop the little immediately, and that will help prevent this infiltration of unhealthy and unhelpful things in your life, because that's what we're trying to rid ourselves of, the unhealthy and unhelpful. So stop the little things. And then secondly, we replace them. Replace them with something positive, something proactive, something helpful, something healthy. Well, as we begin to then eliminate these little things, these toxic things in our life, we want to begin to develop something new. And I'm talking now about identity-based habits. So think of your identity. As Christians, we find our identity in Christ. So all of our habits in our life should reflect Christ. And so we start thinking of all the things that we choose to do in our life as a a little thing that is going to lead us either closer to Christ or farther away from Christ. And so we begin to think now that we want to start with the type of person we want to become. And if you're a follower of Christ, you want to be more Christ-like. So all the things that we do are based in our identity with Christ. And so we begin to think that way as we're choosing what we're going to think about, what we're going to feel, what we're going to say, and what we're going to do. So if you're dissatisfied in any area of your life, become very introspective and decide what your identity is showing in that area of your life. For example, if you're dissatisfied with your mental life, your thought life, because negative thinking preoccupies your thoughts, decide who you want to be in your thought life. So in order to do that, you think who you've become. Where is your identity in your thought life? Who is it reflecting and that will help to determine whether or not it is Christ or somebody else and then you know there needs to be a change there needs to be either a, a time where you reflect and re, and decide to renew and do a reset or a full-on renovation well if every if, if every thought we have reflects Christ then every positive Christ-filled thought is a vote for the person you want to become as a follower of Christ. Think of all of your thoughts and your feelings and your actions and all your words as a vote for the person you want to become. If you're dissatisfied with your physical health, then become introspective about your health issues. Decide who you want to be in your health. Remember to ask for God's help Ask him to do a Genesis week, give you a Genesis week, a start over a new life in your health. And then you begin to replace those bad habits and you begin to eliminate anything that is unhealthy or unhelpful because all of those decisions are going to lead you to become the person in your health life that you either want to be or don't want to be. So you want to choose well in your health life. And so think of every action you take, uh, every food you, you consume, everything that you drink, every step that you take as a vote for the kind of person you want to become. Well, as you begin to replace these habits and try to become the person you want to become in Christ, be careful about red herring habits. Uh, The author of a lot of uh, habit books, uh, Gretchen Rubin, says a red herring habit is a habit we loudly claim to want to adopt when we don't actually intend to do so. Um, I have a friend who said not too long ago, I'm going to change. I am no longer going to be consumed with bad health and the issues I am having, and I am going to go to the Y every single day and work out. Well, that was a red herring because the person really didn't mean that truly that uh, he, he was going to do that because he didn't do it. Uh, hasn't been since, and that's been weeks. And, and so that's a re- something we throw out, and, but it's not based in reality. We're really not planning to follow through. So you might be saying things like, I have decided I am going to cook healthy meals every single night. Well, that's a red herring. You th- it sounds good, and you may be well-intentioned in that moment, but it's really not going to happen. I- I'm going to completely reorganize my kitchen cabinets. Or you might say, I'm going to exercise every single day. Or I'm going to go through the whole Bible in a year starting now. So those are all worthy goals in there, uh, wonderful things to, to want to have. But our intentions and our actions don't always measure up. So we want to get real about those, get real about our intentions and our actions. And sometimes we become ambivalent, like we want to do those things, but there are other things that get in the way that steal the show, so to speak. So we're ambivalent. We want one thing, but we also want something else that conflicts and isn't that the way life is? I always said when I was raising my boys that I lived a conflicted life as a mother. I knew I needed and wanted to do certain things with my sons and then there were other things also I needed to do related to work or other responsibilities and it was, there was always a conflicted thought or a conflicted plan. And this is what happens in our life in all these areas. And so we need to get really clear about what we truly want and what we're willing to do in that area. Uh, Sometimes we offer something really extreme, but we really don't want the extreme and it's not practical for us to do that. Uh, For example, I love to read for pleasure. I am a bookworm at heart. That is an avid description of me, a bookworm. I read a lot of things. I read a lot of books to prepare for study. I read read a lot of things about the Bible and uh, different interpretations of Scripture. I read a lot of books that are helping me with my personal life. And so there's that kind of nonfiction book. But what I really love to read are uh, historical fiction books, especially those about women in history. And I love that. And so I am often, when I have free time, I'm conflicted because here's what else I like to do. I like to watch HGTV, House Hunters International. And so I have to choose which one am I going to do. You know, before we had all these choices, I would read at least, I would have all my other activities, like I was a teacher or a and a busy mom, but I could still get through a couple of books a week of fiction books, but I don't do that anymore. And because there are so many other choices, we have to figure out what we value. And so we need clarity. That's where the clarity comes in, the clarity in our priorities, our values, and our expectations. Well, Uh, So let's look at that as part of our life satisfaction uh, to see if we're struggling with clarity. If you're drained and you're cluttered, you probably don't have clarity. You're dealing with uh, weight issues, for example, and you proclaim you want to lose 10 pounds and you're going to go off sugar completely. Well, then you show up at the family party and there's the wonderful cake and there's the homemade ice cream and you begin down that slippery slope of broken windows the one little i'll have just a little and then another little and another little and so we have to figure out where we're going to find the balance in our choices of becoming who we want to be and who we need to be. Uh, let's say you want to have a lively social life and yet the crowd you start running with has become gossipy or negative or they drink too much or they use offensive language and you've allowed this desire to be social to compromise other values that you've had. And then you begin to notice your life has been become unhealthy. It's become more cluttered. It's become more draining. You're drained by the people whose habits are not reflecting Christ's values. That happens when we don't have clarity in our life. Uh, so our lives get cluttered and drained when we don't live by the clarity of what we value. Now, we often become paralyzed then. We don't know what to do and where to turn. Do I do or don't I do? I really want to do this, but if I do it, then I'll feel drained and cluttered. So when we start having those thoughts of being conflicted, it's a signal. We look for those signals, a signal that I need to clarify what is really important in my life in this area. And the clearer I am about what I value and the actions I expect from myself, as opposed to what other people value and expect, the more likely I will be to stick to my healthy habits in any area of my life. Well... In order to experience a renewal in any of these areas, we need to know what our selfish desires are and get rid of them. We read in Colossians 3, verses seven and verse 10, you used to do these things when your life was still part of the world. See, that's the truth. We used to do things of the world before we became a part of Christ's world. So scripture tells us in verse 10, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Scripture tells us, get rid of the old and begin anew, begin the Genesis life. You know, we learn a lot in 2 Kings 17 about listening to God. We see that Israel had to suffer some consequences because they did not listen to God. Uh, well, it's very often we, we do the same thing <clears throat> what we learn <clears throat> is that they honored and worshipped God but not exclusively and they don't really worship God they don't take seriously what he says regarding how to behave and what to believe they didn't pay any attention they kept doing what they had always done so Israel allowed sin to creep in like a broken window they tested God's limits once, twice, three times until they changed their whole life. Those who lived in Israel, they kept doing what they wanted to do and God let it happen. He let them choose. He let them make these bad decisions. And as a result, they were separated from him. But there, there's hope. Uh, Psalm 80, uh well, first of all, here, here's the consequence of not doing that. We learn in Psalm 81. But my people would not listen to me. Israel would not submit to me. Here's what God did. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own devices. It's what He does for us, He gives us free will. And if we choose to keep going down these unhealthy patterns, these unhealthy habits in any area of our life, He says, have at it. You get to choose. You do it, but there will be consequences. Well, I want us to look at a biblical figure who became very aware of the consequences of his actions, David. David, I want to look at David's sins with Bathsheba. King David chose to stay home in Jerusalem when he sent his men off to fight other nations. So David is relaxing on the palace roof and has his, what we learned in 2 Samuel 11. He looked out over the city. He noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was. David broke a window. See, he saw a beautiful woman but he didn't stop there, he took the next step. This was an unhealthy and unhelpful action. So um, he didn't use his decision-making filter and here are the questions I, I give to you as ways to help us in making decisions when we're in a situation like that. Is it illegal? Is it immoral? Is it ungodly? Is it unethical or is it irreversible? See, this alone can inform our next step. Well, the messengers returned and told David she was Bathsheba. She's wife of uh, Uriah. And uh, David, despite her marriage to one of David's mighty soldiers, David summons for Bathsheba to come. They slept together. Later, Bathsheba tells David she's pregnant. Well, David gets nervous that his adultery would be found out. He was nervous. That was his conscience. That was a signal. That was a, an opportunity to change his way, to make an adjustment, a confession, to make things right. But David chose to break more windows. He quickly called for Uriah to come home, to spend the night w- at home with his wife, but and hoping he's going to sleep with Bathsheba. But Uriah refused to do so while his men were still off fighting. Well, David gets angry again. His plan isn't working. His anger should have been another signal for a reset. We have all these opportunities to reset, but to, to do the next right thing. But David sent Uriah back to fight on the front line where he would die. And after Bathsheba mourned her husband's death, she was then brought to King David's to be King David's wife. God had given David Every opportunity to choose well, to have a reset, but his pride kept getting in the way. What is getting in the way of your reset or your renovation? Sometimes when we can't get a reset on our own, God will send somebody to help us to show the way. God sent David, a man named Nathan, who was an oracle or prophet in David's court. He changed the direction of David's life. David confronts David, I mean, sorry, Nathan confronts David regarding his adulterous relationship with Bathsheba and the cover up. God tells Nathan to let David know uh, that what he did was unjust. So Nathan confronts David by telling him the parable about this rich man who had many sheep and he had lambs, but who takes, uh, takes the only lamb of a poor man. Well, David, David was angry at this injustice. And Nathan asked David, what should happen in a case like this? Even David can see the injustice of the rich man's actions. And David said the rich man should have given the poor man four sheep to pay him back for what he had done. David even says that the rich man who, uh, who had taken the sheep from the poor man deserves to die. Nathan looks at him and says, David, you are that man. He confronted David about his wrongdoing. God brought judgment upon David for his sin, including the death of his and Bathsheba's first child. Such a sad price to pay. There's good news, though. David experienced